Welcome to the new episode of AI Chats, a podcast series produced by the law firm of Haynes & Boone and lawyers from its AI and deep learning practice group to explore the exciting, ever-evolving, and occasionally controversial world of artificial intelligence. My name is Dina Blickstein, and I'm a partner and co-chair of AI practice at the New York office of the firm. I'm joined by my colleague, Adam Sinsenbaugh, from our Austin office. Last month, the White House released a landmark AI executive order. The White House said that, that the executive order establishes new standards for AI safety and security, protects Americans' privacy, advances equity and civil rights, and stands up for consumers and workers, and also promotes innovation and competition. The White House also secured voluntary commitments from several companies, including Google, Meta, Microsoft, and OpenAI to help move toward developing a safe, secure, and transparent AI. Adam routinely represents clients in employment litigation, and he will help us understand what the executive order means for employers and also employees. But before we get started, our standard disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship of any kind. The topics we discussed are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. And with that, Adam, what impact does AI executive order have on employers? Okay, so for employers, the executive order is really somewhat indirect. It doesn't create new laws or regulations, but what it does do is give a tremendous mandate to federal executive agencies to focus more on AI and to think about how it can be used or misused in the workplace. So, for example, the executive order requires the Department of Labor to write a pretty extensive report uh, focusing on a few things, including you know, how the government can support workers who are displaced by the adoption of AI, uh, to develop best practices for employers, uh, to mitigate AI's potential harms to employees, and to provide guidance for federal contractors who are using AI and to ensure that it's not uh, being used in a discriminatory way in their uh, selection and hiring of candidates. Adam, let's uh, let's talk about discrimination because the executive order talks about advancing equity and civil rights, which can lead to discrimination and bias. Now, as far as I understand, employers and companies they do use AI tools that can lead to discrimination. Is that correct? Yes, there are several tools that employers are turning to now to uh, both screen candidates. Uh, in resume screening and interviews, and also in the workplace to monitor employees uh, after they're already in the workforce. Do we know how these tools work? I mean, where, is, where does the discrimination come in? Yeah, so there's a few different ways that can, uh, can happen. So for um, candidates, the two broad tools are the resume scanners and, and software that's really used to um, look at those, and also for video interviewing uh, technologies. And so the fear about um, the use of those and how they can lead to discrimination is that, you know, for resume scanners, you're sort of asking the question, what language is the resume scanner looking for? How is it trained? And, you know, if it's using resumes and a data set that was really compiled with data that might already itself be biased, that might trend towards a particular group or a particular class, if the tool is then just looking to for resumes that fit that same mold or fit that same data set, then it could be inadvertently perpetuating bias uh, that was in the data set to begin with. And the tool is just going to, as it's recommending candidates for interviews, 
it's going to be uh, just perpetuating a, a bias that's already implicit in that data set. Uh, you have similar concerns um, when you're using tools to uh, do video interviewing. That's been a big um, kind of breakthrough area the last few years where employers are you know, used to be you had to have a recruiter go out there and interview every single person that you wanted to, to consider for an interview. Uh, now there's very sophisticated tools that are being developed to you know do video interviewing of the, of the candidates. And so the candidate will sort of log on. Um, they'll have uh, certain questions that they're prompted to answer. And the tool is being used to evaluate their answers and make a selection decision. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, some of the more sophisticated ones are measuring, you know, tens of thousands of interaction, behavioral and performance attributes, such as attitude and engagement and word choice and ranking those candidates based on a particular AI algorithm that's put together for it. And, you know, the fear there is that it could um, also run into some additional um, discrimination issues. For example, you know, if you have a candidate who's disabled, who's, you know, going through this interview process, you know, is the and is unable to, you know, perform the way the quote unquote ideal candidate would do based on the algorithm, you know, is the algorithm going to rate that candidate further down the, the you know, desirability risk because it's not accounting for a disability the candidate, ha the candidate has as part of that interview process. And it's also true in the sense for, you know, what it's screening for, for cultural issues. So, you know, some of the things that the interview software is looking for specifically related to eye contact and assertiveness and different, you know, positive attributes that the, the software is looking for uh, can be associated with certain cultures. And so if you have, you know, candidates from different cultures where that's not, um, that's not the norm, uh, that the selection tool could have a disparate impact on those different groups. And so those are some of the big fears to think about when using it and some of the big concerns employers have when, when kind of rolling it out. Okay. So I imagine the employers are using this tool because it's just a more efficient way to interview candidates and make the selection process easier and also faster, right? But at the same time, the employers also need to balance the use of the AI tool, like, you know, interviewing tool, with, uh, with discrimination. Uh, can you talk about the risks that a company takes when they are using these tools? Sure. I think one of the biggest risks is that the company often doesn't really know what was going into the tool when it was made. For example, there's a lot of discussion in, in this space about it's kind of a black box problem where the, the software vendor or the, the vendor for the tool will be able to offer the tool and efficiency and all the great things the tool offers in terms of being able to scan resumes very quickly or be able to interview candidates quickly. But the employer, the person utilizing the tool, doesn't really know how it's making those decisions. Um, and so the EEOC has been very clear that uh, in its recent guidance that it doesn't matter you know, if the employer, frankly, does or doesn't know you know, how those decisions are being made by the tool that's being implemented. The employer remains liable if the tool itself, you know, results in discrimination against, against candidates or employees. And so, you know, even though the tool can be very efficient and very, very effective for the employer, you know, the lack of knowledge about how it's working, um, I think is a significant problem. And this is true even for tools that, you know, advertise themselves as being bias free or, you know, free from any of those kind of impacts. Um, employers oftentimes just don't know. Uh, and so it's a little bit of buyer beware in that space when you're looking for this, because even if it can, the tool can offer tremendous efficiency and tremendous time savings, you know, if you don't understand how it really works, 
um, you're opening yourself up to some risk on on how it's being implemented, and, and frankly, you're responsible for the impact it might have on your your uh, your class of candidates and recruits. All right. Now, I imagine the vendors that are selling these tools, they want companies to use them. Um, have you been seeing some sort of a shift in the indemnification provisions where the vendor would take the risk or is the risk still on the company? I think it's more, you know, for the tools that are getting more sophisticated, I think that's becoming a bigger issue. Um, I think, you know, employers, at the end of the day, though, employers were really going to be the ones responsible. And so the EOC... Agency has been very clear that, you know, it's really the employer's responsibility, whatever, you know, the decision is. Um, and if it, you know, if the tool that's being used, uh, this is the impact of it and this is what happens, then the employer is ultimately responsible for that. Now, Adam, you, you're mentioning EOC and other agencies. Uh, is this how AI is being currently regulated in the United States or is there some state and federal regulation as well? Yeah, so the EEOC has been uh, the most interested uh, from the employer side, from the employment law side, for the last year or two. Um, they put out some guidance, a, a couple pieces of guidance, uh, one recently this summer, where they really focused on these different tools that we're talking about, such as resume scanners, such as um, video interviewing tools, you know, any of these different AI tools that are being used for candidate selection and candidate ranking. Uh, and have really explained that, you know, um, the risk that employers are faced when using them. Uh, that said, other states have also stepped in um, to the void uh, of, of significant federal legislation to really um, put more burdens on employers trying to use them. Uh, for example, uh, New York City uh, recently passed uh, um, some legislation uh, related specifically to the use of AI in recruiting. Um, and, and what the new rule for New York is that a, a tool like that can't be used unless it's been subject to a bias audit. Um, and there's a summary of the most recent audit and distribution data to the tool are made available for the, on the employer's internal website. And so some specific rules about that for New York. Illinois has also passed legislation uh, related to artificial intelligence and video interviews uh, that requires notification of the candidates um, about what's being used, about how it works, and getting written consent from the candidate to use that kind of software. Uh, and so, you know, with the lack of comprehensive federal legislation to, to handle AI in the workplace, you know, states are, you know, kind of the laboratories that are out there trying to uh, pass something that would be um, effective and, and protect employees from some of the risks that are involved in the use of this technology. Right. Now, do you think that the AI executive order would spur legislation on the federal level, or do you think it would be more state-specific in the next few years? That's an interesting question. You know, I, I think there's certainly interest in the administration for more comprehensive federal re regulation in this space. Um, you know, I think the executive order is really more focused now on kind of information gathering, kind of uh, bringing the stakeholders together and trying to find what's best practices before we jump to a particular legislative solution that, that fits everywhere. But I, I certainly think that it sets the stage for uh, two things. One is you know, increase uh, agency focus on AI tools with laws that are already existing. So, for example, you know, what we're talking about so far is the way AI tools can be misused in a way that violates Title VII or the Americans with Disabilities Act or other employment law statutes that are already on the books. And so in that case, you know, it's more, you know, focus in the agencies on, hey, this is out there, this is being used, 
And you need to spend some time to to learn it, to understand it, and frankly, to be able to regulate it when it's it's creating these adverse impacts or creating other problems. And so that's going to be the first, I think, order of business on what happens. And then once these you know reports and this you know initiative really takes off, I think there's going to probably be um, you know legislation at the federal level that's going to be proposed. Uh, that would address some of this and probably push the law forward in that space too. And so I think it's probably a two two phases. One is, you know, let's focus on these tools and how they're working on the law with the laws that are in the books. And then having done that, you know, that will set the stage for more specific regulation uh, going forward in that space. All right. So right now we've covered the AI interview tools, but uh, earlier you mentioned there's other types of tools, such as the ones that track employee performance or employee location. Uh, can you give a few examples of those? Yeah. Uh, and that's a great question because that also is very much on the EEOC's radar screen as well. So, um, you know, after, sorry, during the pandemic and after the pandemic, uh, you've had a lot more employees that are working from home and working away from the traditional workplace. And so, Employers have been, in a lot of ways, susceptible to that and, and accepting to it, but they've also been concerned that as employers are outside the workplace performing work, you know, how do we monitor those employees and make sure they're being productive and being efficient and staying on task? And so into that void stepped you know, dozens and dozens of different software vendors selling software that would monitor employees away from the workplace. Um, and it's been referred to as bossware. And that has tr- exploded uh, since the pandemic as employers have found it to be a really effective way to, you know, monitor employees to make sure they're actually actively working. And so, you know, for example, for on laptops that you could take from the office, it would include things like uh, active monitoring, um, keystroke monitoring. It could include use of the, uh, the webcam um, and different parts of the, of the device to, to see if the employee is working and make sure they're kind of working throughout their day and being productive. Um, on the extreme side, you know, you have employers that are monitor- using that in a stealth mode. So employers don't even employees don't even really know they're being monitored to that extent. And um, the agency, the both the EOC and the NLRB have said that um, really extensive monitoring uh, can be a problem. It, effectively, from the NLRB's perspective, you know, if you're monitoring employees such that um, they feel like they cannot exercise their Section 7 rights, that that can be a problem. Uh, and so it's a short, long way, a short way of saying that both agencies are focused on that and, and think that, you know, have concerns about overuse of employee monitoring software as well. Right. Now, has there been any legislation that allows employees, for example, to opt out of AI monitoring? So there has been some um, on the state level. There's been a few bills that have been proposed and passed um, where employers really have to give consent about the monitoring. Um, but you know, from the federal perspective, you know, and for, for most states, there's really not a whole lot of employee rights to avoid it. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those situations where um, the employer can make the use of some of the software sort of part of the terms and conditions of their employment. Uh, and the employee, you know, has to accept that as to, to be part of the, frankly, part of the company and comply with the company's policies. And so, um, broadly, you know, employees don't have a ton of rights on this space on the, on the federal level. But as I said, you know, with the um, NLRB's, you know, focus on it, um, extensive employee monitoring could really become a problem. 
Okay. So I guess the, it, it's more along the lines of an employee monitoring and where, and less on the type of an employee monitoring. Right. Right. So uh, let's talk about, um, I guess, pitfalls for employers, right? And if employers and companies are using these tools, uh, what are the pitfalls and what should they watch out for so they don't land in litigation? Yeah. So for employee monitoring, you know, there's really a few things that I think that come to mind. Um, first is, you know, for example, one employer monitoring software that we're familiar with um, will, you know, basically take information about what the employee is doing throughout the day, um, you know, through screenshots of their work and then using the webcam to, to photograph the employee. And then they will decide uh, based on, you know, how, what that data comes back as, whether or not the employee is actively working throughout the day. Uh, and what this software allowed it was allowing this one employer to do was to actually, um, you know, dock employees' pay if the software did not feel as though the employee was working during that time period. Um, that's something we think is a, is, a, is a bad practice. Right, especially with all the AI hallucinations, right, and the tools uh, seeing the how the tools can go wrong. Exactly, yeah. And so that's an example of a Fair Labor Standards Act problem. And so you know, just because the software that you're using to monitor employees doesn't doesn't feel as though the employee is, is working appropriately or efficiently or whatever during that period of the day, um, you know, you can't allow it to drive the decision on whether or not that employee gets a deduction. Um, that's one example. Uh, another example, you know, that's sort of in the monitoring space. Uh, in the recruiting and sort of interviewing space, um, there's also been some recent litigation um, related to use of the video interviewing uh, uh, in relation to uh, the Polygraph Act. And so, you know, sort of step back a little bit. Um, uh, federal law governs when and how employers can use um, polygraph, basically lie detectors for, for employment purposes. Um, and so as this AI software for interviewing has become more sophisticated, uh, some of the companies are advertising the software as able to tell, you know, multiple things about the employee or about the candidate, including, you know, to judge their integrity and honor and, and give a sort of a, a scale, their lie detection sort of abilities of the employee. Uh, and so, you know, uh, there's a recent class action um, against a, a major employer for using the software in a few different states. Uh, and the focus of that class action is, is you know, in the space of, you know, is this not only is this software, be, is this, you know, interviewing software being used in a discriminatory way and how it's being implemented, but also, um, you know, is the use of this software, you know, that's essentially looking at the, the facial, um, you know, cues and and uh and actions of the of the candidate who's being interviewed um does that violate the employee polygraph protection act because it's effectively acting as a lie detector as a polygraph and uh, part of the screening process and so you know that's sort of an example of the tool that initially probably never had that as part of its goal and description but as the tool itself become more becomes more sophisticated and as it adds more features it begins to you know, trigger other protections for employees in that space. And so for employers, the lesson is not just kind of the example of, okay, be careful about using this tool in the initial instance, but also understand as it becomes more sophisticated and is, is gathering more data on the employee um, and, and implementing that as part of its analysis, is that data you want, frankly? And then two, you know, is it doing that in a way that would violate other protections of the employee? 
Right. And uh, it doesn't sound like that's the tool that you would want to use in the workplace. No, that's a feature you would not want. (laughs) (laughs) So as AI tools become more sophisticated, right, the employees may feel that companies may replace them with these tools. Uh, Is that true? And also, and if so, what are the protections for employees? Yeah, so interestingly, that's one of the big focuses of the executive order. Uh, And I think employees, you know, really fear probably three big things from use of this technology. They fear displacement, you know, they fear discrimination, and they fear disclosure of their private data. And so for displacement, you know, the Department of Labor has really been tasked with looking at ways to, you know, protect and support workers who might be displaced by AI. Um, and really that sort of suggests that they're going to look at different kind of retraining programs uh, along with unemployment insurance to make sure they can kind of cover the gap for the workers that are impacted. But the truth is, you know, this is a constant thing that happens in the economy, right? Workers, you know, technology improves, uh, you know, jobs change uh, and worker classifications change and people do different things going forward. And so, you know, um, I don't think AI is unique in that way. I think it's drawn a particular interest just because of its sophistication um, and its power and, and, the, and able to displace employees. But I think it's true for all technology. And so, um, you know, the, the administration is very focused on looking for ways to, to, um, to blunt the impact of that. Uh, and I think we'll see some more initiatives to do so. But I don't think it's a situation where um, employees should feel as though, you know, the worker, the robots have come to take all their jobs. I think it's just, you know, in the future, we'll all be doing slightly different jobs because this technology will um, allow us to, you know, focus on the more uh, productive and more uh, rewarding parts of what we already do. And uh, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I also see that question quite a bit when uh, people ask me if AI will replace us. And I say, no, we just need to think differently because um, AI is, look, is great at, at looking at patterns, but it still cannot think analytically all that well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, Adam, uh, it was great to have you on AI Chats. Uh, thank you. This has been great and it's been very informative, both from the company's perspective and also from the employees. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Adam. And also thank you to all our guests and listeners for joining us for this episode of AI Chats. You can find today's episode and also future and past ones on major podcast platforms such as Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon. Our podcast and relevant articles from the AI topics are also located at the firm's AI and deep learning practice page, which can be found at hainesandboone.com. Our practice page also contains contact information for all the lawyers in the practice group. Please feel free to reach out to any of us if you'd like to suggest topics for the further AI Chats episodes. Take care, all.